If you have ever been pregnant or heard a pregnant woman talk about what it's like to be pregnant, you may realize that pregnancy is one big IBS trap. What do I mean by this? On top of the symptoms that come with pregnancy, they are very similar to those that come with IBS, bloating, constipation, acid reflux. All of these symptoms are things that women talk about who are pregnant, whether or not they had IBS before getting pregnant. So for a woman who does have IBS and then gets pregnant, pregnancy can often become a magnifier for her IBS symptoms. What is a girl to do? On today's episode, I walk you through my top tips for each trimester of pregnancy for how I have kept my IBS at bay and how I have mystified my doctors with the lack of complaints of the normal symptoms of pregnancy. Whether you are pregnant or trying to get pregnant or hope to become pregnant in the future, I want to teach you how you can achieve the same results and have an IBS-free pregnancy. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. All right, everybody. So as a quick uh, disclaimer or at least context giver for this episode, prior to me getting pregnant in this past pregnancy, I had already been living fair like very free of IBS symptoms for a couple years now. Um, I've had increasing levels of freedom from IBS-like symptoms. Again, just just bloating, constipation. Um, Constipation for me was bigger than diarrhea. And in pregnancy, constipation is typically a bigger problem than diarrhea. Um, But you know, you get both with IBS or both are possibilities. Um, and acid reflux, which is not necessarily uh, included in an IBS diagnosis, but IBS and acid reflux have a high correlation. So many women who have um, IBS also have acid reflux and vice versa. There's many people with acid reflux who also have IBS. And so um, the research just shows that there's a high overlap. So I'm throwing an acid reflux as well, because those are like the big things for pregnancy. It's I'm pregnant. 
it's, you know, first trimester, I'm tired, <laughs> there's that, but then I'm also nauseated, I have acid reflux, I'm constipated, I'm bloating, and while we're not going to be covering so much nausea today, when I was getting ready to to be pregnant, again, I, I was really concerned, I, w- I was really intrigued and concerned, you know, is my IBS symptom-free life going to flip on its head? Is is pregnancy going to really trigger something going on? And I was actually fairly fairly certain I would be able to avoid most of these kind of IBS-esque symptoms because I understood why women actually get the acid reflux, constipation, and bloating when they're pregnant. Especially, I mean, first trimester, I mean, you don't have a huge belly. It's clearly not like how big your belly is, right? (laughs) Causing these problems. Um, The main cause of them is high progesterone. And so progesterone is a hormone that we naturally get highs and lows with during our cycle, which is one reason that some women with IBS can have, you know, maybe depending on their cycle, one part of their cycle, they're constipated and another part of their cycle, they have diarrhea. And that is actually 100% avoidable if you can get your liver to be healthy enough and process your hormones well enough. But when you're pregnant, you're just, you just have high progesterone all the time. And progesterone it's this balancing hormone to estrogen, which estrogen gets a lot more of the, um, at least I feel like I, we, we hear more about estrogen in, you know, you don't want to be the estrogen dominant or, you know, having high estrogen makes you cramp, crab, crabby. <laughs> that was hard to say crabby or have tender breasts or it's high estrogen that's correlated with having a lot of intense PMS symptoms and painful periods, but having high progesterone, um, progesterone is this very calming hormone. And so it can make you sleepy, which is great. And definitely one of the reasons why women tend to be sleepier in their first trimester, let alone the rest of pregnancy. But then uh, progesterone really just slows down the whole body. So it actually slows down peristalsis, which is this muscular coordinated movement um, uh, that that pushes food and, and contents along literally from the esophagus all the way down to the colon. So it acts for, I mean, it impacts the entire digestive tract, the entire digestive tract. And when you have really high progesterone levels, that whole digestive tract just slows down. And that's where you're getting this acid reflux because you're not, you might not be emptying food as well from the stomach to the small intestine. So it's hanging out in the stomach longer and you are more likely to, it, it's a kind of end up going in the wrong direction, <laughs> not going towards your small intestine and moving through your body, but maybe hanging out and getting a little bit back up into the esophagus. So that explains some of the acid reflux, same with constipation. You're just not pushing the contents of your large intestine through, so you're becoming constipated and same with bloating. You're not pushing food through. So bacteria are overeating They're They're just over proliferating on the food that's hanging out there just a little bit longer than normal. Um, and these symptoms, they're, they're just worse because at least if there's one thing everyone's going to have in common, it's this high progesterone. 
So I knew, okay, high progesterone isn't inherently bad. I need it to maintain my like pregnancy to actually not miscarry. I need it to be sleepy, um, to just be restful. It's good. But what I want to do is be able to offset it. So what can I do? What can you do so that uh, if you struggle with acid reflux, constipation, and bloating during pregnancy, whether or not you even have IBS, that this is super mitigated because there are things you can do. So that's the context of going into this. And um, I have four different stages. I wanted to cover before pregnancy, some things that I did that helped prep me to have an IBS-free pregnancy um, and really thinking acid reflux, constipation, and bloating. Uh, my first trimester, my second trimester, and my third trimester, which I'm currently in, but which is, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm almost towards the tail end of all this. I mean, I really am. <laughs> I have just about six more weeks before I give birth. It's phenomenal. I'm feeling bigger and bigger every day. It's great. Um, and so without further ado, let's talk about these top tips. So number one, before pregnancy, I would say, and I would, I would actually suggest that this is the most important time to do anything. If you want an IBS free pregnancy, or at least an IBS mitigated pregnancy, this is the most important time to do anything that I'm talking about today. Because once you're pregnant, there's way less you can do for your body because you have a fetus in you. And so your body, you don't want to be detoxing massive amounts of toxins that might be pu pushing your IBS um, into hyperdrive. You don't want to be doing anything too extreme. Um, and so the time to really dig into your IBS is before you're pregnant because IBS has root causes. It is not just, you do not have IBS because you are eating FODMAPs. You don't have IBS because you don't chew your food thoroughly enough or because you, uh, you don't don't drink enough water. There are plenty other people on the planet who drink the same amount of water as you, drink the same amount of fiber as you, eat the same amount of FODMAPs, but they are not getting IBS. Um, and by the way, if you don't know what a FODMAP is, it has to do with this uh, diet that is popularized right now called the low FODMAP diet, which can help people with IBS, but for many people, it is not becoming it's not a long-term solution. It's not even a, oh, it's not even a short-term solution because they're ending up having to do this diet way too long, longer than the diet was intended to be used for. Uh, so FODMAPs, which stands for um, fermentable oligosaccharides, monosaccharides, disaccharides, and polyols, basically certain types of sugar, we should be able to eat these things and not get IBS symptoms. And so uh, I actually cover six of the most common causes of IBS in episode 82 of this podcast, which we will link in the show notes. Um, just remember, IBS is a cluster of symptoms. It has no one single cause. If it did, it'd be so much easier to do something about IBS. The doctor would be like, oh, look, you have IBS. We know one thing causes it. Let's go address that one thing. So unfortunately, you can have two people with the same IBS symptoms. They're with the same age, the same gender. They can have so much that is the same, and they have totally different reasons for their IBS, which doctors are not looking into. They, they don't. It is a functional medicine approach to look into these six common causes of IBS that I'm seeing in my clients that I found in myself, and when I, which I'm actually going to talk a little bit about here. 
but not as in-depth as that episode. So if you want to hear more, go to episode 82, The Six Most Common Causes of IBS. But this is why this stage of before pregnancy, this is where you set up your body, really, both for the pregnancy itself, but also just just to be healed, just to be a human. And so um, it's why it's so important to get functional lab testing. And functional lab testing, meaning lab testing that's trying to get to the root cause of, of a problem, not just like, oh, what's a symptom we can deal with? And not just the basic colonoscopy, endoscopy, looking at hair tissue, mineral analysis, all this stuff. You can learn more about this, more about functional lab testing and physical, getting a physical evaluation for your body of are there physical restrictions in your body that's causing or increasing your amount of IBS in my episode 84 called End Your IBS. So episode 82 and 84 are going to be great if you want to dive deeper into this kind of before pregnancy stage of what you can do to help your body be as strong and resilient and IBS free as possible. But my root causes of my IBS, which I've covered in multiple episodes here, have included things like one, a parasite called blastocystis hominis. I talked about this in episode 18 called I Had a Parasite. It is the number one most common parasite for people with IBS to have. Um, When I got rid of my blast, well, first off, I had to find it. (laughs) When I found the blastocystis hominis and then I addressed it using natural herbs, and a very gentle healing method, did not use antibiotics or anything like that. Um, immediately, there was a huge improvement in my constipation, my bloating, my fatigue. I also actually at the time had low progesterone, poor sleep, and irregular periods. So honestly, if I hadn't gotten rid of that parasite, it probably would have been much harder for me to get pregnant, stay pregnant, the whole shebang. And so because I just had chronically low progesterone, I wasn't, wasn't ovulating very well, and I knew it. And even though I was, you know, staying away from gluten and trying to eat the right stuff, it, I wasn't getting all the all the results I wanted. And that's honestly the number one most common, uh, you could say, symptom. <laughs> the most common thing you see when someone has a pathogen in them, a pathogen being something bad that's bacteria or yeast or parasite, something that shouldn't be in your body. When you have a pathogen, the number one thing you're seeing is that all the quote unquote good things you do are not effective. And so that was, I had blastocystis hominis, uh, a parasite. I also had a bacteria in my stomach called H. pylori. And that was causing low stomach acid, which was causing irregular and low appetite for me. Irregular being like sometimes I didn't feel hungry at all for, you know, a couple meals or days. And then I'd be like really, really hungry um, or like a quick feelings of fullness. So I'd feel hungry, then I'd start to eat and then wouldn't. I'd feel like full, like I can't eat more, but then I also like knew I think I should be able to eat more. I I need more sustenance. Um, And that quick feelings of fullness is also commonly correlated with low stomach acid and H. pylori specifically, which loves stomach acid and will eat it up. Um, Muscle weakness due to not breaking down protein very well. Acid reflux because low stomach acid is the number one cause of acid reflux, not high stomach acid. And then bloating again, because if you aren't, if you don't have enough stomach acid, it's the first massive thing that your body does to break down protein and fat, which are just huge molecules for your body. 
And if you're not breaking those down, then oftentimes by the time that food hits your small intestine, even if you have enough bile and pancreatic enzymes, it's not broken down enough and your bacteria overeat that food, it ferments in your stomach and you get bad gas, bad bloating, um, and often smelly gas. So H. pylori, huge Um, Most of my clients that I work with, so about 25 to 35% of the American population has H. pylori, but by the time someone actually has IBS um, and is working with me, I I see 95% of our clients have H. pylori, like a bad case of it. So uh, much higher once you're actually sick and in a, like have self-identified, like I've tried all these things to get better and I haven't, like doctor appointments and medications and whatever it is that you've tried, food restrictions, um, those are going to be way worse if you have a pathogen, low stomach acid, aren't breaking down your food, et cetera. So already just with getting rid of those two pathogens was feeling much better. Um, After my first pregnancy, which I talk about, uh, I have multiple episodes on, uh, on just the fact that I did miscarry my first pregnancy. I did a lot more or several functional lab tests more on myself after doing some blood work and a, doing a functional lab analysis on my blood work, which is partly why I created Blood Lab Boot Camp, which is my signature course on teaching you how to read your own blood work because reading your blood work from a functional perspective is totally different than reading it from a your doctor's perspective. And your doctor is, conventional doctors typically are not running lab markers that they need to be running. They're not running a full thyroid panel. They're not running a full iron panel. They're not actually getting all the data they need. And if you don't know what you, what, what is good data or helpful data, you don't know when they say, oh, everything looks normal, that they actually aren't. You you just have to trust them, which I would say is just not, unfortunately, not where we can be with the healthcare system. We want to trust our doctors, but it's not always a great idea. So um, after I did some functional lab testing, I found I had hidden food sensitivities that I had not found before. And I talked about this more in episode 56, what I've been doing in my health since my miscarriage. Uh, We will link that in the show notes, but I did a specialized food sensitivity test. I did a deep dive into fewer food categories and saw way more layers on how my immune system was responding to these fewer numbers of foods. So it's like, you know, imagine it wasn't 170 you know, foods, food panel, it was like six foods, but a really deep dive into my immune system. And I found I was sensitive to corn and rice, which was huge because if you are gluten-free, you know, you eat a lot of corn and rice, right? You know, that's, they're both gluten-free. So you can have as much Mexican food as you want. You can have as much Asian food, as long as there's not like gluten in the sauce and stuff, but, um, lots of corn and rice. I was eating lots of that. I was massively sensitive to both of them, but especially corn, which is a huge, huge deal for your body. If you are sensitive to a food and eating it daily, (laughs) you are in a constant state of inflammation. And I just didn't know because I was actually, at the time that I took this test, was feeling the best I'd felt in my entire life. So I had no basis to be, be think that I could feel better. Coincidentally, as soon as I removed corn and rice and some of the other foods I found, such as quinoa, bell peppers, and cucumbers, um, I had significant amounts of fatigue, inflammation, 
uh, fatigue and inflammation go down. And that was fascinating to me because I did not feel actively sick other than the fact that I had miscarried. And it just wasn't worth it to me. I know miscarriages, we don't know why they happen and they could probably happen for a million and one reasons under the sun. I just personally did not feel comfortable doing changing literally nothing and trying to get pregnant. And I did not want to go through another miscarriage if I could do a single thing about it. So um, I really do say consider miscarriage one of my symptoms of those food sensitivities. So being that I have been able to get pregnant again and sustain that pregnancy to me is a win. Um, although we don't have scientific data to say, hey, maybe I could have changed nothing and still gotten pregnant. What I do know is I probably would have been a lot more miserable because that corn and rice was definitely causing inflammation no matter what. Uh, number four, th- a fourth thing I did before I even got pregnant was I cleaned up my liver. I had lots of signs of liver congestion and we've covered this on lots of episodes. I have an episode called the gut sinus connection and the gut skin connection where we talk about the liver, but the liver is basically this intermediary between your gut and the rest of your body. Like seriously, because there is every, every all the blood that your small intestines, your stomach, your colon produces, like after it absorbs whatever those organs are absorbing, as after it um, sends it to the rest of the body, it it actually doesn't go anywhere in the body until it goes to the liver. Your liver is like the kind of waste dump or like water filtration camp of of your gut. Because, I mean, your your body has other places where it cleans up your blood, like your spleen and stuff, but your liver really is the number one thing. And you have a direct, direct line of blood that literally circumvents the rest of your cardiovascular system. It goes straight from all those organs straight to the liver, and it's called the hepatic portal vein system, if you're just an anatomy freak like myself. Um, so that very real anatomy sends all of your gut whatever your gut's absorbing, the good stuff like nutrients and the bad stuff like toxins straight to the liver. And if your liver is burdened, you're going to have just a whole bunch of symptoms, everything from not being able to sleep well, hot flashes, uh, maybe like at night or in the daytime, period pain because you're not detoxing estrogen well. So you get high levels of estrogen. Um, You're going to have more often, more likely skin problems, joint pain, muscle pain, muscle tension. This is all liver congestion symptoms. And so um, you can listen more on this on our gut sinus connection and gut skin connection. I actually don't have the episode numbers here in front of me, but we will link it in the show notes. Um, And I would highly... All of our clients, all of our clients, including myself, who who have had chronic, you know, like just not felt well for any any period of time at all and are and have tried all the normal stuff and haven't gotten better, you have liver congestion and there's signs and symptoms of it everywhere. Post-nasal drip, acne, random rashes, all sorts of stuff. And lastly, I addressed mineral imbalances in my body which I did through the HTMA test, hair tissue mineral analysis test. Um, I just had imbalanced, really low sodium and potassium, um, some high calcium, actually uh, low magnesium. I was actually losing magnesium and my body wasn't even able to use it, wasn't holding onto it. And I had signs of copper toxicity, which is just really not good for copper and estrogen are, are, are pro each other. So if you have too much copper and it's toxic to your body, you're going to have estrogen problems. So you're going to have all estrogen dominant symptoms. And for me, I really saw when I started addressing my mineral imbalance, 
a major improvement in constipation, fatigue, and brain fog. So constipation, because when you are lacking sodium, potassium, and magnesium, it's hard for your muscles of your gut to function, right? They need those minerals to contract. So if they don't have those minerals, they don't contract very well, you are more likely to be set up for constipation. Um, fatigue because minerals are the spark plugs of the body. They really actually enable most of our enzymatic reactions that we need to have happen in the body. Uh, so if you don't have enough minerals, you're going to have way fewer of these enzymatic reactions in your mitochondria, which is like your energy, like energizer bunny, like battery of all your cells that won't function as well. So, I mean, the fatigue is just going to be broad and diffuse and you won't you won't be like, oh, my minerals are out of balance. Like it feels like other things. It feels like, oh, I didn't sleep enough. Or it feels like, you know, I just feel tired today. It doesn't feel specifically like minerals. But when I addressed my mineral imbalance, I got way more energy. And this was in about the three to six months um, before I got pregnant my second time. I was really addressing mineral imbalance and hidden food sensitivities. Um, those are the two things I tackled between my first and second pregnancy. And it made a huge, huge difference just outside of being actually pregnant. So let's move into the first trimester. So you actually, I actually got pregnant or maybe you're pregnant and you're, you're like, man, I've got all this acid reflux going on. I've, I'm constipated. I'm miserable. I'm tired. I'm, and then on top of that, I'm nauseated. What's a girl to do? So my main win in my first trimester was related to specific steps I did for constipation and acid reflux support. And before I start talking details and before you start rapidly taking notes, cause, um, there are like very specific things like one quarter teaspoon of this or like 400 milligrams of that. Like before, before you start rapidly taking notes, I actually, because I've shared this information so much, I have a free download that has all of this information available for you. If you just go to betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation or click the link in the show notes, you will get all this information on how I supported constipation and how I supported my acid reflux or really not having acid reflux through these methods. So just go to betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation and get my free constipation guide there. But in the meantime, just for a verbal, you know, wh what am I talking about? What will you find if you download that freebie? Um, number one, mineral support. We, I already talked just now about how important minerals are. Well, you can actually use minerals um, even if you're not trying to like actively balance your minerals, you can use minerals to help instigate bowel movements and having a bowel movement is better than not having a bowel movement because if you don't have a bowel movement, not only do you just feel uncomfortable because you're getting bigger with all the, all the stool packing in, but you are reabsorbing toxins from that stool. And that also will make you feel crappy as well as often create now a cycle of constipation. So most people realize if they're constipated at all, they don't want to be constipated for any amount of time. So I use something called magnesium citrate, very specific form. Please make note. Mag you can't just use any form of magnesium. All like when it says magnesium oxide, magnesium malate, magnesium, whatever magnesium you're using, um, every 
word after that does genuinely mean something different. <laughs> so specifically using magnesium citrate, which coincidentally is the main ingredient in calm powder. Um, and so you can go buy some calm powder and this will work phenomenal. Um, or you can, you know, buy some pills that are magnesium citrate specific. And what I would do is in the morning before I'd eaten before, um, usually about 30 minutes before I even plan to eat, I would take around 300 to 400 milligrams of magnesium citrate in whatever form I wanted, whether it was a pill or a powder drink about 16 ounces of water with it at minimum, and then just give myself time. Give my body 30 minutes to have that magnesium citrate come into my gut, into my bowel, and basically the citrate form. We don't absorb super well, and but it, what, what it will do is actually encourage um, both a little bit of movement in your smooth tissue or your smooth muscle of the small of the of your intestine. So it'll increase that movement. So you actually are pushing food through, and then it pulls in just a little bit of water, makes it easier to have a bowel movement. And I also did something called a potassium shot, which I teach all my clients how to do. And it is in that freebie that you can again download at betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation. But it's a mixture of cream of tartar, which I don't know if you know this, but cream of tartar is potassium bicarbonate. So it's potassium. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Uh, did not know this my entire life. I mean, I only knew, learned it since doing all this work. So it's just cream of tartar, some salt, and some water or lemon juice. And that also is going to give you potassium and salt uh, along with magnesium or the th kind of the three things that you need the most to create um, mu muscular movement in your body at all. But it's particularly phenomenal uh, to, to try and cue bowel movement. So you can use a potassium shot. I typically don't recommend taking them at the same time um, because it can be too much. So you want to err on the side of gentle. We are not trying to have a laxative effect. Um, and these are not laxatives inherently. They're just natural substances that we're giving the body that are going to benefit you. Uh, so magnesium citrate, 30 minutes before meal, potassium shot, also 30 30 plus minutes before you eat something just because it gives you time for your body to actually have a moment with those substances without food coming in and diluting it and basically your body starting to get distracted by like, oh, look at this piece of bread coming down the line. We should do something about that. So, um, and, and if those don't work in the morning to cue a bowel movement, then you can do, say you did magnesium citrate in the morning, do the same dose of magnesium citrate at night before you go to bed. And usually by, by off swinging it morning, evening, morning, evening, a little bit, you'll get a bowel movement out of that, but you don't want to, don't go, don't freak out. If you don't have a bowel movement immediately, don't like take a bunch more because you can quickly change that bowel movement into loose stool or diarrhea, depending on, on what goes on there. So just Keep it chill, especially when you're pregnant. Give your body a moment to take in those minerals and just realize you are working against progesterone and that's okay. Um, however, keep in mind, if you had massive constipation or, or very chronic constipation before getting pregnant and did not deal with it, um, as in not that you didn't try, but you, you didn't find the root cause and you weren't find, you weren't 
regularly improved, you weren't like, oh, wow, I've gotten over this, which is the case for my clients who work with me. Um, If you didn't get to that place, these methods might not work because you're probably working against not just the progesterone of your pregnancy, but you're also working against um, whatever else was causing your constipation could be low stomach acid, pathogens, food sensitivities, whatever it is, you don't know because now you have, now you're pregnant and that, that extra layer of, of stuff going on, um, makes it, you, you just can't test. And even if you, for some reason, tested and knew, oh, I do have H. pylori, you don't, you can't get rid of H. pylori when you're pregnant. You don't want to because it will cue toxin release and die off and could set you up for either a miscarriage or just, um, impacting the baby, baby's growth negatively. Not to be scary, but that's why you cannot and do not want to do any major detox or healing while being pregnant. Do it before you're pregnant. So how I helped my acid reflux was aside from getting rid of the H. pylori before I was pregnant in my first trimester, I also really supported my stomach acid level. So you can first do a baking soda test, which can confirm if you have or are struggling with low stomach acid. It's a test you do in the morning, three to- three days in a row, three mornings in a row, because our stomach acid can vary morning to morning. And you, before you drink water or brush your teeth or do anything, first thing in the morning, you take a quarter teaspoon of baking soda, about six ounces of water, you drink it, and you start timing yourself for if you burp. And um, if you burp, between zero and one minutes, that is a high stomach acid. Between two to three minutes, it's an average stomach acid. Between three to five minutes, it's low. And five plus minutes, it's very low stomach acid. And then you can also test your zinc levels using something called zinc tally because zinc Zinc is a key factor in being able to make stomach acid, so I do recommend having a way that you can eventually get your zinc levels correct so that you can make your own stomach acid. Um, Third, you want to ensure you don't have H. pylori because if you do, um, this next step could actually make you feel worse. But once you know you don't have H. pylori, you're going to want to give yourself something to support your stomach acid. So I used even just like a hydrochloric acid uh, supplement, just a pill, usually, especially in pregnancy, just one, because two was too strong typically for me. And I would get some acid reflux just from the pill itself. Um, But just one little hydrochloric acid um, thing, some more gentle things that reasons that sometimes acid reflux can be helped by other things. It might be like lemon ginger tea or sometimes apple cider vinegar. These things can more gently boost stomach acid levels. And that is why they will sometimes help soothe the stomach because stomachs do actually want to have some acid in them. And then lastly, to help my constipation and acid reflux and bloating during my first trimester, I got craniosacral therapy. And I don't know if you guys have heard us talk about this on the podcast. I'm a craniosacral therapist. I'm technique certified. And so uh, I use this a lot in my practice with our local clients. But craniosacral therapy basically helps improve communication from the brain to the gut on a tissue level. Because your nervous system is more than just like you, your you meditating or you, your ability to be calm or something like that. It's those things too, but it's also literally tissue. Like 
your nervous system has actual physical presence in the world. And so there's nerves and there's the spinal cord and there's the brain and the meninges around it. And if any of those get tight and restricted, uh, then then you're going to have poor communication from the brain to the gut and the gut to the brain. And so craniosacral therapy can be really helpful for that nervous system to drop and to overall improve peristalsis, that natural movement of the gut in the body, whether you're pregnant or not. And craniosacral therapy is safe to receive while pregnant. Visceral manipulation, you can only receive certain techniques, not I would say not the most therapeutic ones, as in the ones that you want to get when you're not pregnant. Um, But craniosacral therapy, you can get all techniques done when you are pregnant other than one, and your therapist will know which one that is. So um, again, for more details on literally all of these, you can just go to betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation, and there'll be links to how to find a craniosacral therapist to you. There's all the, you know, measurements for how you can, you know, use magnesium citrate or do the potassium shot and when to do it and all sorts of stuff. So, um, download that. And that is my free resource to you, my free gift. That was my first trimester. And I felt like other than the nausea, which I did not love, um, that I rocked it. Like I compared to my first pregnancy, I had no sensitivity to any sense, no sensitivity to foods as far as like aversions or even cravings. It was very, very even keel, which I've shared about in some of my other podcast episodes on my pregnancy and miscarriage and just kind of me processing what it's like to go through these different pregnancies as a health practitioner, as somebody who pays very close attention to my health and has made massive, like massive improvements in my health, um, outside of the hospital system. Um, these I've seen so, so much going on. And so first trimester, I felt like went rather smooth for what first trimester is. Second trimester, my main win with my IBS symptoms was actually some visceral manipulation that I did on myself and visceral stretching. So visceral manipulation, I already mentioned, um, when you're actually pregnant, um, you don't want a, a lot of techniques you can't use because of the relaxin in the body. And so all the relaxin really does soften off, ev- soften up even visceral ligaments. All your ligaments are like seat belted into your body. Otherwise, if they weren't, your like liver would be in your pelvis. And that's not where your liver is right now. Your liver is behind your rib cage on the right side. So that's a very, very different place than it would otherwise be. But all your visceral ligaments also change in how soft they are and how flexible they are. And that's one of the reasons why even when you're in your first and second trimester, visceral ligaments can really impact how you feel. And the good news is, is that because of the relaxing in the body, things like visceral stretching can really be helpful. And I've actually shown some visceral stretching on my Instagram account. So if you go to Better Belly Therapies or our, our, our account is at Better Belly Therapies, um, and we also have the link in the show notes, I actually have like a highlights section. I call it belly stretches because you can't fit visceral stretching. <laughs> in the, in the highlight like names, but belly stretches. And I actually show a bunch of different, um, techniques that you can do to help stretch and use your breath to stretch. Um, and that 
a lot of my techniques were focused on the stomach. I had a in second trimester, I just had a lot of discomfort in the stomach. I actually had some of my worst acid reflux in second trimester. I was just getting pain on my left side even. And I knew it was my stomach because our stomach hangs out on the left side. And so I was doing some visceral manipulation techniques to myself. You could always go to a visceral manipulation practitioner um, and do that as well. And we will put a link in the show notes for how you can do that. I actually am creating a blog post soon also on just finding a visceral manipulation or craniosacral practitioner near you because we talk about this so much. It is so powerful for our clients with IBS. And um, I have had several episodes talking about the power of craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation for for those who have IBS and pairing it with functional, um, pairing it with functional lab testing. And actually I talk all about that in episode 84, which I already mentioned called end your IBS, where I talk about using all three modalities to really address IBS in a totally different way that you've probably never have before. Um, so I was really focusing on my stomach, working on, there's two sphincters, like the entrance of my stomach and the exit, which is my cardiac sphincter and the pyloric sphincter, making sure those sphincters were working, which a lot of times they weren't. And as far as visceral stretching, if if even if you say you go to my Instagram and you look at the highlights and you're like, I want more, or I want someone to lead me through it, I am considering or have thought of before, like making a course where I teach you how to do visceral stretching, but being that that course does not exist yet, what you can do is you can, anything, the closest that I've ever seen people getting to visceral stretching, which is something that I've developed myself, um, kind of taking some ideas other people have had, but they, they haven't really fleshed it out um, as visceral stretching or been very specific with the anatomy. Um, the closest thing that I've seen other than that is prenatal yoga. And so, um, if you, you know, want more or want someone to guide you through some stretches that can be really helpful for your organs in your pregnancy, prenatal yoga is going to be the way to go. Um, and again, a really nice thing to do is get visceral manipulation before you're pregnant. So if you're not pregnant right now, great. Now's the time to get some visceral manipulation so that you can help your organs not be have adhesions and restrictions around them that would restrict them from moving and functioning normally, which is where you're going to get that bloating and acid reflux, constipation, even diarrhea can be caused by visceral restrictions. And then in my third trimester, which I'm currently in, my main win... <laughs> is chiropractic care with my my favorite chiropractor, um, which we even had a, a podcast episode um, where he and the two doctors from this chiropractic um, office came on and talked about how to find a good chiropractor. That's episode 36, how to choose the best chiropractor. And we will link that in the show notes, but chiropractic care where they all, didn't just crack me and kick me out, but I say that they give you muscle, they gave me muscle strengthening and stretching exercises. And the reason this is powerful, it's a little bit less connected to IBS, 
But um, the big thing is, is that I was having a lot of pain in my right hip. And let me tell you, as someone who's a body worker and specialist and understands the body super well, being that nothing I did worked long term for me, like I just felt like it would come back two hours later and just wake me up again. It was happening in the middle of the night. Um, I was like, guys, you got to help me. <laughs> I was in intense pain. And here's the thing. You don't want to be sleep deprived if you're pregnant. You want to be sleeping as much as you can, as best as you can, because you're about to give birth and then you are going to be sleep deprived from feeding this baby every two hours and taking care of it when uh, taking care of a newborn. And so my recommendation out of this is Find a chiropractor before you get pregnant because a pregnant body is a sensitive organ and instrument and it's going to be best if you trust somebody and already like them and know them. If you are pregnant, you can still find somebody, but I do recommend like I already had this chiropractor who I really loved and I found him in 2018 um, and it's now 2022. And so he knows my body, he knows my health history, he's not going to like talk down to me or do stuff that's not relevant. He's going to be like, oh, I I know what you need. And he was able to get me a faster answer probably because um, I he already knew me and my body and health history. So again, going back to do things before you get pregnant, he's really huge. Um, and again, even though chiropractic care, I can't say is directly IBS related, sleeping well and being comfortable in my body was huge. And it really also benefited or complemented the visceral stretching that I was doing because I've, I'm still doing visceral stretching through my, through my third trimester. It's huge. It's so important because your uterus, which is an organ is stretching and it's displacing other organs. And so I have noticed all sorts of restrictions, everything from my large intestine, because you have large intestine actually connects up to your rib cage on your right side and on your left side of your body. Um, so if you like literally put your hands on the side of your low rib cage, your colon attaches like a hammock on both sides of that. And that gets all pushed out of place. And so I've used visceral stretching to open up my colon and help gas move through and just not having that pain that I was getting and that my chiropractor through him giving me muscle strengthening techniques so that I could help balance my musculature. Um, that was huge. And I can now pair that better with better visceral stretching, um, cause I'm not in pain and I can go deeper into the stretch. So, um, visceral stretching has been my go-to. I do it before bed every night. Um, I can, might intermittently do it throughout the day, depending on how uncomfortable I am. Um, cause this baby's growing and I feel like some days she's growing faster than others. It's a she, by the way, have I told you all that? I'm having a girl. So, um, her name is going to be Sarah Joy. Um, just Sarah, but her middle name will be Joy. And then her last name will be Jordan. So super cute, Sarah Joy Jordan. And she's just getting bigger. And so I've got to make space for her. And visceral stretching has been huge. So if you want visceral stretching, please follow me on Instagram. Let me know. Send me a DM. Do whatever. I It is on my mind that I want to make a course on this. But I don't know. Do you guys want this? I'm not going to make something that other people don't actually want. But um 
other than all of these things, these main wins, they're not the only things I've done in my health and my pregnancy. And actually, um, I've specifically done a lot of work on preparing to give birth. I'm planning on doing a home birth. Um, and I know even just sharing that sometimes that can be controversial on its own. So I do want to just have a podcast episode where I talk about home birth practices and why it is safe and it's not dangerous or un like, I don't know, selfish or just weird or whatever, right? It's normal. Women have given birth in their homes for thousands of years. And, um, I have days where, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work where of uh, prepping my body for birth and working with my husband and he's been so supportive in me in this journey and he's done a lot of stuff that I couldn't like taking up cleaning and cooking when I need to rest more like I'm still pregnant y'all I'm still tired or I still definitely feel different than when I'm not pregnant but it's not because of IBS thankfully and so I have to admit like kind of ending all of this I had mentioned that I had mystified my doctors because um, even though I'm working with a home birth midwife, I had been seeing traditional conventional doctors in a, in a midwife like clinic in a, in a traditional hospital for a couple months before finding my home birth midwife. And they would always see in my charts that I have IBS and they're always looking at me in this like super concerned look, like, how is your IBS doing? And I'm like, I don't have any. And they're like, really? Like you don't have bloating or constipation. I mean, I was like, nothing that I can't handle as in literally like nothing that I like magnesium citrate, like couldn't do something about to like feel good with very little effort. And they literally like shrugged and were like, okay. And I just can't believe it. I mean, they clearly are surprised, but they don't want to know more about it. They're on a timeline. They're on a crunch. They talk with a million people. I'm sure they think it's some fluke. I don't have symptoms, but it's not a fluke. It's healing and it's intentional. And other people can achieve it too, just like you. That's why I'm talking to you guys. If this was not achievable for other people, there'd be literally no point in having this podcast. I'd just be tooting my own horn. And that's also why we have all of our testimonial episodes. I don't know if you guys have realized, but I've posted a testimonial episode once a month for like the last five months. And I know that it was... I hadn't been like once a month. I didn't have like a very specific release date prior to this, but um, had released about six other testimonials of some of my clients who were just willing to share some of their story and their healing journey and how they, what they were dealing with before they started working with me and what's changed and what they've learned about their body. And most of my clients, when they work with me, they've already tried things for years or decades and nothing has worked. And that can be the same for you too. So if you are ready to jump into your health and you are wanting to just end this cycle of guessing and the cycle of just being on super restricted diets and being on the low FODMAP or honestly, maybe being miserable during pregnancy, maybe you're between pregnancies right now, I would invite you to join up and sign up for the foundations waitlist. I'm currently not taking any new clients, but as soon as I come back from maternity leave, I'm going to be reaching out and the clients who are going to have first accessibility to me are going to be the ones who are on the waitlist. So that those are the pe first people who are going to know when I'm taking clients again. And so I'd just invite you Sign up for the, the Foundations Program waitlist. You can go to betterbellytherapies.com slash waitlist, or you can just click the link in the show notes. We'll have it there, the betterbellytherapies.com slash 
uh, wait list. And if you just want to know more about the foundations program, how long does it last? What does it include? All those good things. Go to betterbellytherapies.com slash foundations and you can learn more there. All right, guys. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed recording it and getting to just talk through pregnancy. And honestly, some of this is just reflection for me of how much has changed, how much IBS used to rule my life and how now I'm able to go through pregnancy, honestly, more comfortable. (laughs) I was more comfortable during this pregnancy with my gut health than I had been in 2015 through 2017. Seriously. And so it's possible for you too. And I hope that this encourages you and just gives you some insight into some things you could do both before you get pregnant as well as while you're pregnant to help smooth out all those funny things that just come with pregnancy because that's part of having a baby and the baby being healthy. So if you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line. So subscribe wherever you're listening to so you never miss an episode. And if you thought of a friend while you listen to this, take a screenshot and just text it to that friend real quick. I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that they say, oh, I know someone who needs you. So if you thought of someone, just take a moment, send that friend a love note to their gut. Just, you know, you pause, pause the podcast, you know, take a little screenshot, super simple and send it to them because I know, you know, someone who is pregnant, wanting to be pregnant, has IBS, suffering from some discomfort in their pregnancy. And I hope that this podcast blesses them. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review on our podcast on Apple iTunes. We have a link in the show notes where you can just go head straight over to our Apple iTunes player and leave a rating and review there. Other ways that you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. And of course, seeing all the free content like belly stretches and things like that on there. I love connecting with you guys on Instagram and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And remember, as always, our motto, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. Catch you guys next week.